Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. If this group of people had not come together at this time in Waco's history, I still think Tom Wilson's story would just be out there lingering. It would, I, I just don't think the city would have there, – there's just not – like our city just is not – kind of in that mode Mm-mm. it's like we want to forget about the past you know yeah, let's carve what we think it needs to be right there and there would have been no no impetus to start mm-hmm. telling the story no so you know there there's there's no reason to believe that if if we hadn't come together to tell the story at this time that anyone else for any other reason would have come along to tell the story well i think that's how things in the city happen for the most part is that they don't go out and recognize anyone until a group is like hey yeah, she's right. like, hey, what about this person? We haven't talked about them. And then they're finally like, eh. But what I am thrilled to know was that Bob Dylan was at his funeral. See, before all this, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's amazing. And that yeah, he had a funeral really... in L.A. and a, and a funeral here. like or Yeah, that's pretty here. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're somebody if Bob Dylan shows up to your dang funeral. Seriously, though. Waco Loud and Rogue Media Network, this is Invisible Icon. I'm your host, Travis Scott, and today I'm here with the team of executive producers. We have Katie Selman, Jacob Green, Lindsay Lippman, and Zach Burke here to talk about the making of the show Invisible Icon. If we could just start by kind of going around the table and um, talking about everyone's role in the in the creation of the show uh, Lindsay would you start us off well I already had Tom Wilson on my mind so it was almost like Katie introduced me to the project of the podcast and I said oh my god yes I know all about Tom Wilson and I already have this interview with Michael Hall with Texas Monthly and I'll give that to you and I just did, I didn't know I was going to be an executive producer. <laughs> I, I was just, you know, it was going a natural to, fit for you, Lindsay. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that y'all allowed me to tag along, but I was happy to share all of the information um, that I had found so far. But there was such a mystery at the beginning, and that was really part of 
the in- intrigue that I had with all of this. And so Katie said, yeah, we're doing this podcast. Let's work together. And so I felt like uh, my part was just kind of information gathering and interview gathering. And when I got that phone call, because Zach gave me the number to Tom Wilson the third, and then I kind of low-key uh, harassed him <laughs> or like low he did key. call you the lion light, light right. harassment so we have like several levels in journalism when we're trying to approach someone and, and you do catch more flies with honey and so I, I kind of was circling him a little bit like you know emailing his work and then calling his work and then you know leaving a message and um, and then when he did finally call me back he told me he had read my bio, and so I was glad that he, he didn't think that I was just some, like, crazy person off the street, that I actually did have a purpose, um, which I appreciated because I didn't escalate it because when you escalate, you have to actually door knock and then show up to their work, uh, which I was willing to do uh, to get the story. But it was uh, one of the greatest moments for me was getting that phone call and seeing that it was a Houston number and I was at work so I ran into the audio booth and then afterward I don't even I was sweating I was so (laughs) excited to just hear what he had to say and I had so many questions and so that initial contact with him I think just kind of snowballed for all of us into being able to get most of our questions answered here's just a funny story I want to tack on to that because when you got him to call you back and you texted us we all went crazy of just like oh she got it I remember that it was like an afternoon and we had people over at our house and you sent the text with the audio and I stood up and I left the living room (laughs) and my wife goes where are you going and I go Lindsay just got Tom Wilson the third and I left in the other room immediately to go listen to it because I was just so taken back from it well and I did not have high hopes for being able to talk to him mainly because I had just interviewed Michael Hall a couple years before and he wasn't able to hear back from him so I I was worried that maybe we'd never know the rest of the story. Yeah, and I think that, A, I remember the phone call when Lindsay called me, and she's like, are you sitting down? And I just remember being like, "There, I have no idea what's about to come out of her mouth. And just, it didn't seem real. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't seem real. But also, I just remember us having conversations before we even started recording saying, like, what happens if we tell the story and it just ends up being sad, you know? Yeah, like, and it turns out not or, to be a good guy. Or there's just like a like a bunch of, like an open ended like you know we, it, this kind of helped us feel good about the story we already felt good about. I, I definitely will say from uh, from the position of being the narrator of the story, I was concerned at the very beginning when we started telling a story that we didn't know the end of, <laughs> and so the when uh, we were finally able to, when Lindsay was finally able to get a hold of Tom Wilson III and we had the end of the story, then at that moment, I mean, I I had, fe- I just felt such a huge sigh of relief um, that it was like, okay, we, we know what we're doing, we're telling a good story, and we're on a good path now. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with that. And it was one of those things that when we were piecing it together, like we knew we had enough four episodes. Like we had so much information to get out there. It was just the spacing of, all right, what goes where? How are we going to make this last? And then, yeah, the ending like you talked about. Because at the time, all we knew was, hey, he passed away this time and nothing else. But when we were able to get uh, T3 on board, then that added so much to it of us being able to finally, you know, find the way to perfectly end that. Like we had that end cap piece we were looking for. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, Zach, could you talk a little bit about uh, your role in the podcast and sort of helping get this whole thing off the ground? Um, I guess it started like what Jacob two three years ago. It's been a while. Uh, it's it, one year. <laughs> no, 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 no. Really? Is that all? Yeah. It See, feels like it dog does. Years. <laughs> It does. It? Okay. Well, maybe a year and a half at this point. It's almost October. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Okay. The pandemic counts it was, as its own year. It may. It's it was, made time. It was a couple down. days after my birthday and the first show that we put on so with June Brotherwell 2019. Brewing. Oh yeah. It, so great show by the way. I was recovering <laughs> oh. from a uh, half marathon. Just shamelessly plugging that <laughs> one in there. Uh, and Zach emails yeah. me. Um, and then so like that's when it got this kicked off. But even like. I think I said two to three years because I had the idea and I just kind of sat there and like would research more and write more and more stuff down because when I went, my whole goal was when I presented it somewhere is I wanted to have enough information and enough facts that when I pitched it, I wasn't going to get told no. Like I wanted to have enough of that and I knew that there was a great story there. So I spent like a year just getting as much information and I would go, you know, at work during my lunch break, I would go out to my car and I would just call these guys. Like I would find numbers and, you know, I would call and I talked to Michael Hall there at, you know, um, Texas Monthly. And then I called and talked to a random Rolling Stone reporter. You know, the fact that he answered, I was like, hey, I know you don't know me, but this is it. <laughs> and so, like, that's what I did. And I just hunted down people to try to get as much info when I had enough. Then I finally sent Jacob the email and uh, you guys were, you know, over the moon about it, and which is what, you know, I thought, hey, if I present this to people, like-minded people, they're going to see, you know, the great story that is here. And For so, sure. yeah, it went from us just meeting at Dichotomy and trying to figure out what we were going to yeah. do yeah. to, I mean. How, did, how, did, how did to do the story justice was the very first. Like, yes. Yeah. Jake, the foundation of it. Jacob, could you elaborate a little bit more on that, on that meeting at Dichotomy? Yeah. And so um, when Zach first sent that email and he had put, you know, all the people that uh, Tom had worked with, it was the Velvet Underground that stuck out to me instantly because I'm just a diehard fan and uh, a diehard Lou Reed fan. And that's what got got us connected. So we started meeting and throwing out some ideas of how to do justice for this story. And I think it started off as maybe a news article, but that just didn't feel big enough. And then it kind of expanded into a movie, and uh, which we have no idea Felt how to do that. a little too now. big right so now. So that, that turned out to be <laughs> too big, but um, it was sort of like a chance meeting because uh, Ty Nathan Clark, he's an artist here. He's from California, but he lives here in Waco. And uh, he's worked on some very cool documentaries and I just sort of tossed it at him I was like hey man what do you think we should do with this and he sort of did that uh, uh, Napster Mark Zuckerberg moment he was just like lose the the he's like do a podcast and we were like yeah okay absolutely ding, it, ding, 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 it ding. was one of those things like as soon as it was said you just kind of looked and you're like why didn't we think of that before yeah, yeah, yeah. he really <laughs> uh, kind of sh- pushed us in that direction to sort of clashing into uh Lindsay and and mike uh as well i'd like to add that i was late to that meeting because i was getting my <laughs> hair done um and i, I had it I, I remember distinctly Always that with it was the hair with this it one. was the first time i ever put any color in my hair which it is now bright purple but it was i got it rose gold that day so i just want y'all to know that <laughs> so so that kind of uh sat on the back burner really for a little bit the idea of the podcast well i remember you guys talking about it on the key Waco loud podcast yeah, yeah. about We're, the the original idea of absolutely. the tom wilson podcast mm-hmm. 
and uh, it took a pandemic to sort of shut everything else down and direct our focus back to it to create that space yeah so uh i remember being recruited to the team by katie um katie can you talk a little bit about what the beginning of this process was like from your perspective well for me you know you see a bunch of ideas and you know different paths and different you know like everybody kind of has like their own idea or their own goal or what how they envision it and one thing that I think that is kind of my superpower is kind of honing and putting, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of saying, like, this is what we need to do. And, yeah, and I, I wanted to have a voice. I didn't want it to, you know, have all these different interviews and, and not have somebody guiding the conversation. And I didn't think it was me. I didn't think it was anybody else that was really working on the project because I wanted it to almost be somebody coming from the outside in. And that's when I was like, it's got to be Travis Scott. And I imagined you sitting there with like a cocktail in hand, <laughs> telling this story by a fire. Like that's how I Im imagined it happening. Obviously that didn't happen. It's here in the studio. Or maybe it did. I don't know. Quick, <laughs> don't give away the magic. He's sitting in front of a fireplace. Velvet robe. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but I just. Cognac. I, I absolutely thought that you were the voice. You were my first choice to be the voice behind the invisible icon. And I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> well, I was certainly flattered when uh, when when you pitched the idea to me. And I I remember uh, when we first started talking about this and, and it was uh, you and Jacob and we're saying, oh, well, there's a there's a story that we want you to be a part of. It's about this uh, this uh, super prolific 60s rock producer and i remember thinking well 60s rock isn't really my thing but i'm always down to learn something new and they said oh and also he's from waco and i was like okay well that's that's really interesting and said, oh and also he graduated from harvard and i was like okay well, that's that's exciting to get a, a waco guy from harvard and they were like and also he was a black guy and i was like <laughs> <laughs> you buried the lead uh, <laughs> his mind exploded I'm, I'm i'm sorry can you can we walk through all of those things again? Just just so I'm hearing this all correctly. And so going from um, first, uh, you know, being invited to to be on the show to um, to when we got to the first episode. Um, I mean, the, the first episode was was just packed with content. And, and I was amazed at how much stuff was in there. And I remember sitting in the studio with uh, with producer Mike and going through um, as I was, you know, going through and and reading through and revising episode one um trying to find supporting information on the names that we brought up or the dates that we brought up and every time we stumble upon another name or another date um you know mike are just sitting here blown away by the wealth of information that was around it and so um you know when i've when i've talked to people about it you know including uh you know my own mother about it and you know we're telling a story of this you know amazing um is uh you know amazing you know african-american producer um you know born in the 30s so he's two years older than my grandfather um so but you know he was college educated went to harvard both of his parents college educated his grandfather college educated and graduated from a college in illinois which was not a black college in the year where the supreme court decided it's okay to segregate schools <laughs> So all of the stuff leading up to to the um, to having Tom Wilson 
Jr. entering the story was was just absolutely mind blowing. And part of that, just to tag on what Travis did, was part of the favorite thing that I got to kind of like dig away at was that family story. Like we knew, and we obviously you know, dove into every aspect of Tom's life with this podcast. And I think we did a great job of covering everything. But then for me also on top of what we learned there was the fact that we were able to go back and see this about his parents, right. to see this about yeah. his grandparents and that like really that special. Yeah. And just to see how the family as a whole, like sure. Tom Wilson jr. Is a fantastic guy who deserves credit. But I look at that family as a whole as like that. That's a damn good family right yeah, there. Just impressive. all the way. Yeah. Impressive yeah. unit. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think it's that they found a blueprint for success in its education. Mm -hmm. And I think every child who's growing up in Waco, Texas, or anywhere in this country, if they're growing up in a world of social, racial injustice, if they're growing up in a a world where uh, their socioeconomic status is low, education. That's what I walk away with. Absolutely. That, but but he also was extremely talented. <laughs> oh, that's true. And, and very charming. smooth. And Definitely I see helps. a lot of similarities when I listen to the episodes of The Music Factory mm-hmm. uh, to his delivery and to Travis's delivery. Oh. It was it was great. <laughs> He's blushing. Really just blushing. that low, smooth voice. Um, I really enjoyed listening to Travis. Well, can, can we talk about the process? Because I want to get Mike, obviously involved in this uh the process that we're taking from day one to day seven finished products and i'd also like to hear what mike like when we presented it to mike like what did what did you think about it so um i think jacob said something to me at a uh open mic Mm. um and this was way pre-pandemic and all that stuff but we talked about it uh then and I was super excited just because I like doing that sort of stuff with like a digital soundscape and all that. You know, we've I, I've done some of that stuff in the past and really enjoyed just kind of storytelling through through audio. Um, Travis and I, when we met for the first one, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure we were in the studio for about two hours. Yeah, yeah, we were here and for a while. That, that probably the last. 30 minutes of it mm-hmm. was recording yeah <laughs> yeah the other stuff was just us figuring out w- what the hell do we put where and you know what yeah. do we cut out what do we leave also me being a diva and trying to figure <laughs> out well, i didn't want to say that but <laughs> it's okay it's okay we can admit it so. <laughs> no it's it's um i'm i'm thrilled to be a part of it um it was it, it's it's a hell of an experience to get all of that information and have to compress it into an episode within a week yeah um because i don't know if you guys know this or not but i produced like 400 shows or something at this point at least and so uh that one was always i mean that's my saturday and sunday you know and that that sort of thing it got easier as we went along sure as Um, we built that template exactly that's that's what i was gonna say we once once the template had been built uh then it's just where do we come in? Where do we come out? You know, how do we weave? We, we had to play around with uh, Travis's voice a lot, too, because I know at first, um, I think our first feedback on all this stuff was that uh, Travis needed to read it more like a storybook. I think somebody said. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. that was Lindsay. I definitely remember going through yeah. reading. Th- I think remember re- recording the first one twice mm-hmm. and then going back and listening to the episode. And then Mike and I both decided collectively that I should probably come in and record it again in a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and read a little faster <laughs> in, a, in a way that sounded a little more narrative well and Travis yeah. has Travis has this voice that he takes these natural pauses anyway 
So it was very easy for me to cut, cut, a little more, a little less, that sort of thing. And uh, the nature of the beast and something like this, if you've got the backing music and stuff all the time anyway, so yeah. it's never just this empty silence unless it's warranted. And there were a couple of times that, that empty silence was warranted because the story in and of itself, I mean, yes, it's a happy story, but it doesn't end well, you know? I right. mean, yeah. it ended early. Um, a lot of bad stuff happened. Um, but a celebration of this guy's life is what it should be seen as a whole. Absolutely. Uh, there are pieces in there that are very sad, and there, there's even pieces. Um, we did a, a moment of silence in one, Travis. Uh, rem remembering John Congressman yeah. John Lewis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very apt mm -hmm. to do that during recording this. So I, I've had a blast. I hope that um, I hope that we get to do other legends or icons or or something down the road. Absolutely. Um, I think this one should stand on its own for for a while. For sure. Agreed. Because. Um, I 100% honest with you, numbers stunk at first because nobody knew what they were listening to. Right. Um, but this thing has started to build. That's and awesome. this is one of those stories that as it sits out there, it just germinates and germinates. And I think people will find it. Um, I think if, if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing happens, uh, you know, we'll be right up there with Marshall Crenshaw. <laughs> oh, it'll happen. Nice. I think so. It will happen. It'll happen if I have to circle the wagons on that <laughs> who oddly now. enough i seem to be email buddies with now mike oh that's great yeah <laughs> you see also in tom and his family a lot of that in t3 and t4 t4 oh, yeah. is so active if you see him on instagram he is all about the black lives matter movement and he's a vegan he's very very passionate about that and educated and it's it, you see tom wilson jr in both his kid and his grandkid. One thing I was hyper, hyper aware of is the fact that when you and I first started talking, I was like, are we once again white people trying to tell an African-American family story? And I was very concerned about yeah. that. Sure. Definitely. Um, I didn't want to uh, speak out of place or, or do something that maybe Hijack somebody else narrative. should be. Exactly. I was very aware of that. I mean, Travis, and you are the only black person involved in this project. Right. What are your thoughts about that? So um, as uh, whenever the I first got the script um, for each episode, you know, I would sit down and go through it and, um, you know, analyze it in a way that um, to, to, to make sure that we weren't entering that territory of... Yeah trying to trying to tell the story um in a way that doesn't effectively glorify the story um and so so that was um you know a lot of like i said episode one that was here in the studio with producer mike for all the other episodes that was you know me at home the day or two before bracketing out the episodes so that they can be phrased properly and going in and making you know tweaks here and there and so um so yeah but overall you know i I felt very comfortable telling the story um, and telling a story that I was not writing. Um, so, and with the, with the information and the way that this team um, put all the stories together, um, I, yeah, I, I felt comfortable well, let's, uh, being let's, able to tell the story. Let's talk about the process then, um, how it starts. Cause it starts with Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Zach sends the outline. I go through and well, we have a meeting. We had a meeting at the beginning of it and we discussed, all right, Episodes one's going to be this, two's this. And so we had an outline of what we were going to do. So I got up, and it depends on how my week went, but <laughs> I'll 
you know, hopefully get up on Monday and I will sit down in front of my computer. And I have basically, like, to the right, years that I'm covering. And then I just dive in. And I'm writing everything down and typing it up. And this could be, like, a three- or four-hour process. Because I know that I want to give Jacob as much as I possibly can when he writes it. So after that, when I'm exhausted and my brain needs a break and I'm done with it, I can send it to Jacob. <laughs> and then that's where it picks up next with Jacob right in the episodes. The clock continues to yep. tick. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll take all that really great info that Zach has compiled and he includes ideas of how he thinks the episode should go and and I just sort of uh, try to um, try to put it into a good voice um, and then kind of bring it to life put the meat on it on the bones that Travis uh, that Zach has sent over and the one thing I just want to add to give Jacob a pat on the back is when he was able to write the script for like the little scenes we would have oh. My brain can't, like, if you tell me, hey, what is this or why is this? Like, if I have to just go hunt down and find an answer, that's me. But I could not put that together. And so I would send what I have, and I know Jacob talking about it, and I'd be like, man, I hope there's enough in there for him to pull something out of. And then I'd listen to the episode when Mike would send it to us, and I'd be like, damn, he knocked it out of the park. All right. Yeah, and that, that was like a yeah. one-two punch between me and then, and then Travis kind of tweaking it. Um, I certainly had some grandiose ideas in certain episodes and then uh, once that got to Travis and Mike uh, they really made it come to life and so when when the script gets to me um, I will say that Jacob definitely sends a script out uh, with plenty of time uh, or plenty of advance notice uh -oh. and I <laughs> that was sarcasm no 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 that was not sarcasm Jacob always sends it out with plenty of time for me to get to it I would read the script one or two days before recording. Sure. And so, um, and so we, I would go through and um, um, just, you know, make some formatting changes, bracket it out so that it was easier to phrase. Um, and then go through and look at, you know, if we, if we bring up a date, what information can we throw in there about sure. the date? Or if we, if there? we bring up another person or another location, um, is there, is there some, connection that we can put in here to tie it to what else is going on um, and so I would go in and insert some information like that rearrange some phrases and then um, when I was uh, by the time I get to the studio to record it normally that is the first time that I'm reading the whole story start to finish out loud and so the if there are moments of surprise that you hear in my voice, it is genuine surprise because <laughs> I am also learning this information <laughs> right now as it's being recorded. favorite part about the entire series is that Travis is genuinely, genuinely surprised at things. It's, um, it's the learning things as, as they come. And so, you know, at the, uh, at the beginning of the, um, at the beginning of the story, it was, uh, you know, I was like I said, I was comforted to know that we we knew the direction the story was going. We knew how the story ended, and we were comfortable telling the story. But all the details in the middle, you know, when I get to an episode and say on the next episode of Invisible Icon, we're talking about the following things. I'm also sitting there thinking, man, I wonder what we're going to talk about <laughs> about the, uh, about the, about the next things. So. What was everybody's favorite yes. moment? <laughs> I really wanted to talk That's about that. That's why we're sisters, Katie. <laughs> so 
My absolute favorite moment was when we got to hear Tom Wilson Jr.'s voice for the first time, and he was just all about himself, talking about how great he was. And I remember listening to it, being like, yes, Tom, you are great. You are the best. No one is better than you. I agree with you. I just like got so hyped up. <laughs> I was in that also moment. loved that moment. <laughs> yeah. I, it's mine too because he's just going on and he's talking about things put on through history. And he's like, I could have done what they did in Rome better. <laughs> right. You know, I could have done this better. Yeah. Like, the only other ideas that have happened that aren't being me, it's because I don't have time to pursue them. <laughs> and I listen to the whole thing and I'm Fantastic. like, this is the greatest, just like not taking yourself too seriously, <laughs> yeah. but like brag at the same time. Yeah, and yeah. I just absolutely loved it. I think that's my favorite quote from the whole thing too. Oh, I started listening on my commute. I started listening to every single episode of the Music Factory. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're so good. Yeah, so they really are. And, and that was part of the beauty too of when I would write these especially with like the Velvet Underground mm -hmm. uh, episode or other ones we did, like if they talked about the artists that we covered, I'd listen to the whole, you know, yeah, the, the whole show and I could get audio from them telling Tom himself about what, you know, Lou Reed and John Kill were doing with Tom. Like it was, uh, you know, uh, but Absolutely. those episodes are so great. The songs that are in between there, the old school ads, like yeah. the Gone for the Wind ad. <laughs> Comes on so many times and it's so big and so sweeping. And everybody loves Nico. Let's yes. keep her just as she is. We're gonna um, keep her special. Yes, all those. I <laughs> love. Like, what is going oh on? What are you guys doing was to Nico? Gone with the wind. The parachute sheets of like podcasts. You know, like every know. seriously, yeah. Oh, it was, but it was just like you know, for the first time in thirty-five years, and you're like, wow, okay. Um, you know what I loved? I loved hearing I had so many favorite moments in fact every time you guys would send like the preview of the episode my fiance and I would listen to it and we would just be like man this is so freaking good <laughs> it's like so it's good. so good it's so I love these deep dives but my one of my favorite things was hearing from T3 about how his dad would call his mom every Sunday yeah oh, that yeah. was really that nice was yeah, I loved that because really that just moment. summed up kind of who he was it's like he went out into the world and did all these things but he still cared about his mom and and what was going on yeah you know, back that home. was probably top three favorite thing yeah. uh in it but i think for me it was the music factory years and getting to do those three episodes which were so dense well those four episodes oh i'm sorry it's four episodes you're right um the four pillars right um those four episodes each episode was so chocked full of just rock and roll history yeah and it was so like tough like to choose what to not focus on and just get down to the the pearl of yeah. each episode and uh that's probably number two and number one my favorite thing was doing the velvet underground episode because yeah. i'm just a massive fan and the little story that i told at the end of that episode that literally happened katie yeah. me and katie were in a uh, sports bar in Brooklyn watching Dallas Cowboys play I forget who but there's Giants fans there and they're all yelling at the Cowboys fans Bills. oh it was the Bills <laughs> that's right Kitty Kitty verified and uh, like I genuinely wept into my beer it sounds like a country song but it definitely happened. there's a tear in my <laughs> I was just, I was gonna sing too <laughs> 
so I I learned so much on this show, and I I I loved every episode of being able to go through and and read through the script and and look up like I said look at looking up the background information and finding out all of the all of the the information surrounding what we were talking about and a lot of times looking at the events that led up to certain things that were happening. Um, but I will say that my favorite moment in um, in the creation of this show was the moment when we posted a story to Instagram and I got a notification that Tom Wilson the fourth reposted the story oh, to his Instagram. Cool. And at that moment, I, I, I about lost it. So I was like, we just got a two generation endorsement mm-hmm. on how we are doing, delivering this man's life story. With that two so, generation endorsement. I mean, pretty much I was, I was amazed. So that was, that was the moment that finally did it for me. What about Mike? So, um, I well, oh yeah, Mike, so I was going to say that, that my, my favorite, Part of this whole process was something that wasn't in any of the episodes. Um, before we talked to T3 again, I had to call him and um, just have a one-on-one conversation with him just to say, hey, is it cool that we call you again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And um, hearing him say that he's really enjoying it and thought it was a, uh, a fitting tribute um, made me feel pretty good. And so being able to do that and know that, you know, the stuff I was doing was making a difference in this man's life. So I, that was a big part for me. It was just some Saturday, you know, that I talked to him, but it led to then Zach having the, having the great conversation he had with him. And, and sorry, Mike, just since you've talked to him and Lindsay, you've talked to him too. He is the funnest person to have a phone conversation yeah. with. He's Literally when I, talk to him on the phone I was like I talk to people for a living because he and I have the same background in news he went much higher than me he ended up in uh-huh. San Francisco <laughs> um, but uh, up the the market chain but he is one of the most enjoyable people to talk to on the planet so genuine genuinely sounding. a nice sounding guy and interesting and, and intelligent so and the things that he was I started writing down the stuff he was saying because I just liked the way the words sounded together he was <laughs> he's such a, a wordsmith and I think um, it is the highest highest compliment for him to approve and be involved in this process of telling his dad's story because it's a sacred story it's his family story and we're just happy to bring it to the people of Waco and, and whoever else might be listening out there. Yeah, and uh, I, I think jumping on top of what Mike was saying about tribute, um, maybe we should talk about going to the uh, gravesite of where Tom and his uh, his family are buried. Uh, you want to talk a, bit, a little bit about that, Travis? Yes. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a very sobering kind of moment um going to the the gravesite um with the team to honor the memory and the legacy of Tom Wilson um in person uh and that was you know we've been we had been working on this story for what at that point what eight, eight weeks, weeks of actual maybe, maybe recording eight. time and and then all the the you know all the the weeks beforehand so you know we'd been you know on this process for a couple of months and you know, all of us, the ways that in which we were getting to know Tom Wilson and his story and his family and his legacy. And then finally um, being able to meet up to, I guess, in a way, uh, you know, interact with 
um, the the tangible memory of Tom Wilson uh, was just a uh, it was just a just a very sobering moment and, and a really really cool sort of bittersweet yeah. sort of moment. So we uh, we recorded ourselves out there. Unfortunately, Lindsay was not there, but appropriately, Lindsay was in L.A. I was in Los Angeles. The exact same day that Tom passed. On the anniversary of his death. and so started with you, and that's just also interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, I reached out to T3 to get um, the exact address because I was going to go past his house, but um, I was already on a plane back home um, when I heard back, but I'd like to go out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I would also like to go out there. Go back out there, same. yeah. So while we were out at the gravesite, we recorded a little bit of our conversation out there and we're going to play that for you to listen to at this time uh i think it's something special that tom's first you know heartbeat was here in the heart of texas and his final rest in place even though he didn't pass here in la but his final resting place is back here in the heart of texas i think that's something special yeah i think it's uh you know, truly amazing. Getting to know the the story of like Tom Wilson and like the Tom and the, and the family, and so you know Tom and you know his his parents, um, you know, all being like honored at the same, um, you know, with the same um, gravesite. It's uh, um, I think like what Katie said. We're so we've been so invested in this story for so long. It's. Um, you know, it's it's a very uh, sobering moment, yeah. and um, you know, it's. I mean, it, it means a lot that that we are able to like also share in this moment in person with this part of the story. Yeah, we've been celebrating Tom this whole time. Now it kind of feels like we're actually mourning him. Yeah, which is of. interesting. That hits me the most as I'm sitting here and I'm staring at this is I brought it up when I talked to Tom Wilson the third of how I feel honestly aside from you know brothers mother wife the person I know most from all the research and stuff I've done is Tom and so it does feel like we talked about kind of like a friend kind of like a family member but then also just being able to discover not only Tom and the greatness he did but his whole family it's like looking at this and I've heard stories about Fanny now, and then, you know, what she did, and how big of an impact she was to Tom, how he called her, you know, once a week to kind of, she was his therapist, or then looking at his dad's, and just, you know, Thomas there, and knowing what he went through to kind of help out the family, and, you know, the fact that he worked for Atlanta Life Insurance, and he worked downtown, and then helped with his dad's rug laundry that would go on to, you know, kind of, inspire time and ways too when i look at this it's not just like i'm mourning and at the same time happy to finally be at a place where you can see you know tom and him be at rest with those he loves but to me the journey has also been bigger family wise because when i look down here now and i see thomas b thomas b2 and i know i've talked to the third and to the fourth now so it just kind of adds to the weight of it all of just how exactly i I think, you know, we're, we're kind of towards the end of the, you know, we're at the end of the series now and, you know, we have seven, eight episodes out and a lot of people have been like reaching out to me recently being like, I just, I finally started listening to your podcast. I can't believe this man is from Waco. His story is so incredible. And I, I feel confident that 
you know, this memorial right here, you know, at Doris Miller Park is not going to be the only memorial he's going to have, you know, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, his, he's going to have a bigger legacy, you know, in Waco. And I think, um, you know, I think it, it also is worth noting that most of the, uh, most of the projects that Tom worked on, um, it, at first, you know, they were, um, not seen with, you know, great, like, critical acclaim or anything like that, and, um, all, it seemed like with every project that Tom was involved in, um, the genius of Tom Wilson finally came out, um, much, much later than the original, the original product did, and I think in the same way, um, you know, the, the genius of Tom Wilson's, um, life is, you know, finally starting to come out much, much later than, um, you know, than, than the passing of Tom Wilson. Something that I just thought of too is obviously we make, or we've brought up the fact and other people that the date of his death is obviously three years off. But at the same time, just after following, you know, Tom's life and the type of person Tom was, everything he touched and what he was able to do and the influence he was able to have in the music industry, you expect something bigger. But at the same time, just looking at what we have here, even with the wrong date, I feel it's just what Tom would want. Like he was one of those, cause it was a way of like, he was gonna do it his way. You know, he was gonna help out musicians who wanted to do it their way. They thought that it should be this. And he was like, no, I think we can do this. Like it just, it fits. Like to, I don't know, cause obviously, I never have the pleasure of, of meeting the man, but the stories I've told is he doesn't, he didn't seem like a guy who wanted a big hoopla in a way. And it makes sense that this is just him with his mom and dad is just kind of perfect in a so, sense. So maybe kind of describe what, what you're seeing. Granite block within a brass plaque on top of it with the uh, Wilson uh, and big print at the bottom. And then his mother Fanny's in the middle from 1906 to 1996. To his right is his father from uh, 1898 to 1951, and then to the left is Tom from 1931 to 1975, and then the two uh, vases on each side of it with beautiful flowers in it, though. So it's just, it's simple, but yet hard-hitting. It's, uh, and, and I think that that's just the, the perfect way for it to be summed up. Yeah, today uh, is actually the anniversary of Tom Wilson passing away from a heart attack while he was living in LA. September 6th, 1978, not 1975. And it said that his, he's not buried here, but he was cremated and his remains somewhere in the city, which I'd be interested to know exactly where. What are your thoughts, producer Mike? Um, I mean, I would love to know why the date is wrong. Um, it's also not really a headstone, it's just a marker, um, which seems kind of crazy thinking about the life he had. Um, but in another way, it's fitting, like Zach said. You know, the guy, I think he was, when it came down to it, he was kind of understated, but he produced these enormous people. He didn't, he, he didn't want to be front and center. Right. He didn't but, need to rest on his laurels or anything yeah, for anything. Yeah. It seems yeah. to me. So like it just it fits in a way of, you know, a man 
who dealt with Dylan, who dealt with Zappa, who dealt with, you know, Velvet Underground, Simon and Garfunkel, Sun Ra, all these, you know, guys that could have bigger than life personalities and just kind of exude charisma wherever they were. And he was the guy that exuded a charisma of himself but was able to stay back in the back and just create these wonderful sounds that is just kind of, like we said, just fixed point yes in a sea of chaos yes creative genius chaos which is where the most best and wonderful creative things come from but you do need that base that mm -hmm. fixed point Thank you for joining us on this journey and this concludes our telling of the Tom Wilson story. And again, a huge thanks to the people who helped put this podcast together. Our executive producers, Jacob Green, Katie Selman, Lindsay Lipman, Zach Burke, and I'm Mike Hamilton. And I'm Travis Scott. And this has been Invisible Icon, the Tom Wilson story. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. Our theme music is by the Bowleys. And now, we'll let Tom have the final word. Here's one that gets us into our show a little more deeply each week. It's called our night Nightmare Pick. This is the record that I, as a producer, as one of the most outstanding producers in the history, not only of the record business, but of all entertainment ranging as far back as the great events that they used to put on at the Colosseum in Rome. I mean, I could have staged those things uh, with much more flair than Nero or Caligula, any of those. They were pikers. And, um, any of the things that are done today, almost any idea that you mentioned, I have thought of, but I, I only have so much time, so it's impossible for me to do the things that George Martin does on the one hand, while I'm thinking about the things, say, that Eric Jacobson is doing with the Southwith Camels and so forth. So I just don't have enough time to get around to the many great ideas that constantly stir around in my mind. So you only hear, just in the few selections that do get out, you, you hear only some brief moment, some brief glimpse of my genius. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.